Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. Happy Thursday, dude. The weekend is almost upon us. Thank God. I know, and it's actually kind of nice that I got Thursday off. We're actually recording a little bit early, earlier than typical. Usually we don't start recording until like 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night sometimes, but the fact that we're sitting here before 7, ready to rock and roll, bro, you just love to see that. Gives us time to actually go and watch the draft. I think the draft is at 8, 8.30-ish, so we get to understand what's going to happen in the NBA, some big titles to discuss. So Kyle's going to go over the agenda today. Uh, what we got going on today, man? Yeah, as far as the agenda is concerned, it's going to be relatively light. We have a couple topics to hit. Most of them are going to revolve around the NBA. There's a lot of news uh, within the NBA over the last couple of days or so. We've seen some big-time moves involving some pretty big players. Like Kev said, the, the NBA draft is upon us, so that's something that we'll talk about as well. But for the most part, it's mostly just going to be revolved around uh, what we've seen with some of these moves that have taken place within the last what would you say, Kate, the last 24 to 36 hours? Yeah, there's been rumors all week long talking about potential trade, trade suitors. I mean, we've even had some trades fall apart in the last couple of hours as well. So the NBA draft is no short of uh, trade galore come draft night. Yeah, exactly. So uh, first things first, we will go over the what I would consider is the biggest trade that we saw on Thursday. Uh, Kev, for us, this only happened a couple hours ago. I know you guys probably won't see this until Friday, but nonetheless, the first trade that we're going to get to is Chris Paul. Excuse me, Chris Paul being traded to the Golden State Warriors. CP3 will join forces with Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Jordan Poole gets sent out to the uh, Washington Wizards with this trade. So it's very interesting to see how this whole situation with Chris Paul is going to work out. As far as I see it. You know, when it comes to Chris Paul, Chris Paul is 38 years old. I mean, Chris Paul has been around for quite some time. And Kev, is it safe to say that this is his real last chance to get some sort of title before his career does come to a close? Because that's kind of how 100%. I see it. But when it comes to Chris Paul, he will be with the Golden State Warriors going into next year. If I'm Golden State, there's probably going to be some more moves that are going to take place later this offseason. I think one name in particular is probably going to be Draymond Green. Now that they've moved on from Jordan Poole, it now focuses their attention on trying to bring Draymond back into the fold uh, for potentially, I'd say, somewhere in between a three- to four-year deal. But we'll go over that Chris Paul trade uh, to Golden State first. After that, we'll talk about Chris House Porzingis being traded to the Boston Celtics. I mean, there was a trade that first looked like it was going to take place where it looked like it was going to be, Kev, tell me if I'm wrong when it came to the first trade, when it came to the suitors involved. It was Boston, it was the Clippers, and there was one other team. I'm just forgetting the Minnesota. other team. That was I mean, uh, not Minnesota. It was uh, Washington. Washington. Except that trade fell through. It had to do with the fact that the Clippers were not sold on Malcolm Brogdon's injury status uh, for the for the foreseeable future. Apparently, he has some sort of elbow issue uh, that was brought up in the trade before it was actually finalized. But nonetheless, uh, they were able to rework a trade that involved Chris Hobbs Porzingis. Porzingis still goes to Boston, uh, except the one trade suitor that was taken out of the equation here was uh, the Clippers and the Memphis Grizzlies stepped in. 
uh, for that trade suitor. So it was still a three-team trade. Um, the other person that was involved in this trade that got a pretty big highlight uh, in this trade was Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart is going from the Boston Celtics to the Memphis Grizzlies. When it comes to Marcus Smart, that may be somebody that we talk about later in the episode, but I imagine that he's got to feel some sort of way about how Boston just did him dirty because Marcus Smart was somebody that I kind of see as someone who probably wanted to play his career out in Boston, but that will not happen. So, But the big move is definitely KP going to Boston. If a pretty solid rotation with their starting five right now, we'll see what happens when it comes to Jalen Brown this offseason because he's looking like he's going to get a pretty big contract extension this offseason, looking at at least a four- to five-year deal. And if Boston can be able to bring him back into the fold, they have a pretty big trio in Boston. I don't know if it was as big as their original one from 15 years ago, but nonetheless, it looks like Boston's going to be pretty solid going into next year. And then after that, we'll close it out with the NBA draft uh, kicking off tonight. I believe it starts tonight, and then what? it ends tomorrow. Second round will be tomorrow night. I don't remember how the NBA draft works, to be honest. I thought it was both rounds today. I could be wrong. It could be. I know with the NFL, they typically do the first round. Yeah, the first round is on the first night. The second and third are on the second day. And then after that, it's everything's on the third day. But nonetheless, we'll go over some of the big names that are going to be involved in this year's NBA draft. And it should be pretty interesting to see what happens. Obviously, I think everybody is assuming that Victor Wembanyama is going to go number one. But it's going to be interesting who goes number two. It's really a two-man race between Scoot Henderson and... Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller. I was drawing a blank to his last name. It was the guy that was basically saying that Paul George is, is his GOAT. It's another topic for another day, but uh, he could have just said that he, that was his favorite player. A goat was a Max. completely different situation as far as I see it. But that's pretty much the agenda that we have for you guys today. It's relatively short. Uh, Kev, let's go over this Chris Paul trade to the Golden State Warriors. I know this was the biggest trade that took place on Thursday. As we know of right now, there could be a trade that takes place later this evening that we're not privy to yet, but time will tell in that regard. But let's talk about Chris Paul first. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so Kyle already alluded the big trade was Chris Paul goes to the Warriors in exchange for Jordan Poole and two future future first-round picks get sent over to Washington. Chris Paul is getting paid over $30 million, as is Jordan Poole, but Poole is in his early to mid-20s, and we all know that Chris Paul is in the back nine, almost 40 years old, and has been injury-prone in the most crucial moments of his career. Talking about playoff history, calf, knee, hamstring, ankle, you name it, he has missed significant time in his championship aspirations, in his team's playoff runs. So the Warriors got a ball-dominant guard, which is good, somebody that can distribute. Steph can do what he needs to do freely, but again, injuries and the contract and giving up two first-round picks for someone almost 40. I mean, Bradley Beal got a bunch of second-round picks, and Chris Paul got two first-round picks. You know what I'm saying? It's a little weird. So, Kyle, I want to hear your thoughts on Chris Paul joining the Golden State Warriors. Well, for me, when I look at Chris Paul, this is probably his last chance of legitimately trying to get an NBA title within his career. Kev, he's almost been in the league for 20 years at this point. And there have been times where Chris Paul has been close in achieving some sort of shot to win an NBA Finals, yet that has not happened. Unfortunately, every single chance that they've made a deep playoff run where Chris Paul has been a part of a team that he's been on. Unfortunately, it has not ended in success for Chris Paul. But when I look at what Chris Paul has with the situation in Golden State right now, this is going to be pretty much what I consider is his last best shot to get one. Because, I mean, like Kev said in the lead up, Chris Paul is in his late 30s. He's 38 years old. And we're not talking about Chris Paul in a sense where he's in the prime of his career like he was when he was a member of the Los Angeles Clippers. I mean, that was pretty much peak Chris Paul back in the day. That's no longer the case here. And even though that I think that Chris Paul could still be a viable player for Golden State going into next year, I think there's a few factors that you have to kind of keep in mind when it comes to Chris Paul is how long is he going to be able to play for and how effective is he going to be when it comes to his overall shooting. Chris Paul has always been a good scorer as far as I see it. And when it comes to him running the point guard position, he is somebody that is 
basically considered a prototypical point guard as far as just his ability to be able to run the floor effectively as a floor general. But you could tell over the last couple of years that he's definitely had a drop off in his overall productivity. And it's just coming with age and attrition. At some point, the minutes are just going to get to you. And there were times when Phoenix was making their playoff run this year where they unfortunately fell short in claiming an NBA title. There were times where Chris Paul was open for some jump shots. And Chris Paul has made a huge living off of knocking down some mid-range jumpers, knocking down some big-time threes. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to cash in on some of those looks that he was provided with in this playoff run, this most recent playoff run for Phoenix this past year. Now, when it comes to Chris Paul, the interesting thing that I'm going to see it with him going into next year is what sort of role is he going to be in? Is he going to be the starting point guard for the Golden State Warriors? Is he going to come off the bench? That's going to be something that Steve Kerr is going to have to work on this offseason and try to figure out what the best rotation that Golden State's going to run with their starting five is going to be. There could be a situation where Chris Paul runs the point guard and Steph plays the two. Now, depending on what happens with Draymond Green, it could be a pretty advantageous situation for Chris Paul if they run a high pick and roll with Chris Paul and Draymond Green. That means that Steph and Clay are going to be open on the wing somewhere, being able to knock down some three-point shots potentially. But who knows? Maybe Steve Kerr will switch things up and bring Chris Paul off the bench. I don't know if Chris Paul is going to settle for that, but it could just be the personnel decision that Steve Kerr is going to have to make. So when it comes to Chris Paul, I think that Chris Paul is still going to have a relatively decent year with Golden State next year, barring some sort of injury, some sort of significant injury as far as I see it. But this pretty much tells me that, you know, with them moving off of Jordan Poole in this trade and bringing Chris Paul into the fold, it looks like Golden State is really putting their focus on trying to retain Draymond Green. And it really kind of came down to Who's it going to be for the long term? It was either going to be Jordan Poole or Draymond Green. Well, now we have our answer. With Jordan Poole going to the Washington Wizards, I think this pretty much guarantees that they're going to go after Draymond and they're going to try to bring him back on some sort of deal. I don't know if they're going to give everything that Draymond wants because Draymond could ask for a three to four year deal. He could still ask for well over $150 million in a contract. I don't know if that's something that he'll get. But nonetheless, I think that's what Draymond is going to try to secure this offseason. Now, Golden State may give that to him. I don't know about the price point, though. The price point may be a little bit different. But I think it pretty much guarantees that the Warriors are going to try to lock in and try to get Draymond back into the fold. And then maybe try to make some other moves this offseason to bolster their bench depth. So, overall... I'm not really sold on this Chris Paul trade just because, like Kev said, you're dealing with somebody who's in their late four, late 30s, almost in late 40s, Jesus. He's almost 40. But nonetheless, if Chris Paul can be effective going into next year with Golden State, and as long as everybody stays relatively healthy, I still think that, that Golden State will be a relatively competitive team in the Western Conference next year. They made it to the second round of the playoffs this year. They got knocked out by the Lakers. They were coming off an NBA championship the year before, and you could still look at somebody like Steph Curry, who's still playing at an elite level despite him being in his mid-30s. So overall, I'm still a little bit hesitant on how well this Chris Paul trade is going to work out. It's just I think that the bigger takeaway is with Golden State moving off of Jordan Poole, they're going to focus on Draymond to try to bring him back into the fold with some sort of contract extension this offseason. That's really how I see this whole situation with Chris Paul going to Golden State and Jordan Poole going to Washington. So, Kev, I'll kick it to you from here. Yeah, no, I'm looking at the contracts here, trying to see the comparisons of who's going to make what and, you know, is Golden State saving money? And it looks to me like Golden State is actually spending a little bit more money. So the base salary for Jordan Poole's contract is listed at $27 million this year. And Chris Paul is slated to make just a little bit under $31 million. So you spend more money, give up capital, and get older. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like Jordan Poole is some elite defender or anything like that. Because we all know that there were plenty of instances, not just in this playoff run, but in previous 
uh, exchanges in different games of the year where Jordan Poole plays little to no defense whatsoever. So maybe Chris Paul gives you a little bit more grit. He gives you that veteran leadership that you already have with Steph, Clay, and Draymond. I mean, Chris is known to be very vocal. Chris is known to be a great leader and role model for a lot of younger players. Maybe a pass-first point guard would be beneficial for Golden State so that Steph and Clay can focus on just getting shots up and altering defenses. That might bode well for some of the big men. That might get get some of the younger players involved, like Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga, who's been circling around a couple of trade rumors. Who knows? Kyle also made the point of potentially moving him off the bench. At this age, I feel like Chris Paul has to do whatever it takes to win if you really want a championship. You are well past the point of being picky, of trying to say, well, I demand to be a starter. My man, at the end of the day, this is a franchise that has won four championships in the last decade, and you have won zero in 20 years. So I'm going to need you to take a step back because you're no longer the point god that you were when you were in L.A., in New Orleans, and so on and so forth. You're now a veteran leader that is making upwards of 30 plus million dollars. They brought you in for a reason. Clearly, they see something of value to you because they could have left you to disappear in Washington. But it also makes me laugh because I'm assuming Golden State was the only team willing to give up two first round picks for him because the Clippers and Lakers were rumored to go after Chris. But it just seems like the Warriors were willing to give up enough. So. Mike Dunleavy makes his first big splash as the GM of the Warriors. Obviously, we know that. Um, oh my God, I'm going to forget Bob his name. Myers. I know it's Ma- Bob Myers. I'm sitting here like it's not Jacob Myers. Bob Myers takes a step back and resigns, and he no longer is the GM. I agree with Kyle. This is a focus mainly to retain Draymond. I mean, we saw that there were some issues on the sideline, even some visible disgruntled conversations on the floor between Poole and Draymond. Not to justify what Draymond did whatsoever. It was very toxic behavior, very inappropriate, but it seemed like Jordan was carrying that through the year, and in instances, communication and friction was existing visibly for the media to see both on the court and off. So it is what it is in that regard. Draymond is the glue to this team, and he just does so much. Personally, I said this to Kyle during the playoffs, the performance that Jordan Poole put out this year in the playoffs is the reason why he got cut traded because I guarantee you if he was doing something similar to what they did the year prior when they won the championship or putting up better numbers this would not have been a conversation I guarantee you they would have retained both and would have had a conversation with Draymond and Jordan to say listen we need you both to win put this behind you whatever has to happen behind closed doors do it you're both grown men it is what it is but Jordan Poole played so bad and I mean like so inefficient to where he was having under 30 percent shooting nights and again doesn't play defense, was having those on-the-court issues with Draymond and other teammates, so it was bound to happen. I didn't think he would get to sent to Siberia, or I guess what I would call the garage sale that is Washington, but hey, now you can go put up 30 shots in front of all the baddies in the D.C. area without any limitations, and that's going to be your team. So have at it. Have a good time. I don't know what Chris Paul is going to do. There are options. He presents different packages, different sets on the offense, but they brought a veteran in nonetheless, and it's just a matter of how Steve Kerr is going to use him. So, I mean, I can't even say kudos to the Warriors because I don't even know if this is a good trade, but it happened. Yeah, it's like I said, I'm not really sold on this trade. I mean, don't get me wrong. Everything that you said about Jordan Poole this past postseason is entirely correct as far as I see it. But you are trading for a 38-year-old point guard. That's and- why I don't get it. You know, had Chris Paul, let's say, for example, let's say Golden State made this trade when he was 35 years old. At least then I'd have a little bit more understanding. I can kind of see where they're coming from just because Chris Paul, I think at that point when he was 35, I think he was either just starting his Phoenix Suns tenure or was still a member. Of, OKC. I think. I think it was OKC at the time. I know there, there was that time where he was with Houston for a little bit, then had OKC for one year. And then he went to Phoenix. I just had to look back at the year specifically to see. Yeah, because he was a part of the 2020 championship. 2021 finals with Giannis, right? Like, he was a part of that team. That was two years ago already. That was two finals ago. So that was his first year in Phoenix. Yeah. So, yeah. So three years ago, he was in OKC, which was the bubble. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He was actually low-key cooking with OKC at that time. 100%. He revitalized his career, which is why he got that contract from Phoenix. I'm just curious... Golden State has to know, right? This man has been injured every single postseason 
including the finals that he made an appearance in with Phoenix. I think he played through an injury, even missed the game. I don't remember uh, fully, but you're getting someone that can give you good minutes, right? Mm -hmm. He's not the pest that he was on defense five, eight years ago to what he was able to guard the best point guard, guard the best guard, get some steals. He can be a pest. He can he, Again, he's a good vocal leader. Offensively, he's diminished in terms of value from scoring. I'm strictly looking at Chris Paul to be, I'm bringing the ball up, and I'm going to get Steph and Clay open looks. Mm -hmm. Steph can do that. Steph has great handle, but Steph's always going to be a score-first point guard. He Can he get double-doubles? Absolutely. You saw it in the postseason. He was able to get a lot of people involved. When his shot wasn't falling, he was able to get people um, uh, touches and get them shot attempts and good looks. But Chris Paul knows, yo, I don't got to get 15 to 20 here. I don't got to even get 10. If I go and get 8, 10 assists, get a couple boards, get people going, you know, get that second unit flowing, if he comes off the bench and just gets them going, those people that were complaining about minutes, like Kaminga, like Moody, that is going to revitalize maybe that second unit to come out there and actually play effectively. Because let's be honest, Steph and Clay and Draymond are getting up there in minutes. And if they're going to go out there and play 35-plus minutes a game because the ball's not moving or shots aren't falling when Steph's off the floor, Chris Paul can be that person to say, I got it. Give me 20, 25 minutes. Even if he does start, just in spurts, save him five minutes a quarter, four minutes a quarter, whatever the case needs to be. Steve Kerr is a smart coach. He knows what he's doing. It's just a matter of which role Chris is willing to accept. And the key here, just like all the other trades that have been speculated and going around, have you noticed that, by the way, kind of tangent moment here? Every single player that's on the trade block is an injury-prone player. KP, yeah. Chris Paul, John Paul Collins, Paul George, Zach Levine, all these players that are speculated, all injury-prone players. So that's going to be one of the narratives today, guys. You're going to hear if he can stay healthy a whole lot in this episode. But Chris Paul, especially at the tenure of his career, at the stage of his career that he's in, he misses any time, any time that's meaningful, especially come down the stretch for a playoff run, come down the stretch in the postseason if Golden State finds a way to make it again. He misses time. This is an immediate loss for Golden State, period. Yeah, unless they try to bolster their back end of the roster, they try to bring in some depth players for their bench. I mean, obviously, I know we talked about Draymond, and pretty much, like I said in the analysis, pretty much tells me that they're going to try to put most of their eggs in their basket to try to go out and try to bring Draymond back into the fold. I, Kev, your guess is as good as mine when it comes to what you think is going to happen with Draymond. If I had to guess, like if I'm leaning one way or the other, I'm still banking on the fact that they're going to find a way to be able to bring him back. But honestly... For a trade like this, like this situation, you don't make a trade for a point guard in the hopes that Draymond Green is leaving. Because you're going to have that 26... $28 million of available cap space. I saw, not rumors, but conversations amongst my friends on the timeline of Twitter, because everybody loves to have conversations that it's the greatest app ever. Is this going to be a ploy to trade CP3 for other pieces? And I don't think that's the case. If this would have been for second-round picks or one first-rounder, maybe. You gave up two future first-round picks and are taking on a $30 million cap hit no one is taking on his cap plus the picks that the, the picks is what solidifies they're keeping him mm -hmm. like they're invested in him for the next two seasons. So basically you're working with a 38 to 40 year old point guard for the foreseeable future. So unless this would have been something to work around like they did with D'Angelo Russell, like a sign in trade and then send him off somewhere to where you're going to get something in return. He doesn't have that value anymore. So I think mm -hmm. Golden State is 100 percent banking on. Chris Paul being the leader on the point guard position, whether in the first or second unit, and Draymond Green coming back. You cannot afford to lose Green after getting rid of Poole because then this all becomes for naught. Because then you got to worry about who's going to be able to bring the ball up when Steph and Chris Paul are off the floor. Draymond is that person that can do both. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes to Draymond, when you look at him and the situation that he was involved with with Jordan Poole, where Draymond threw that huge punch during Haymaker. practice, you pretty much knew that Golden State was going to have to move off of one or the other when it came to a situation like that. And granted, I will give them credit just from a professional perspective. They were able to 
make it work throughout the season as best as they could. I mean, granted, that's what from what we saw. Now, behind the scenes, I don't know what happened. I think more than likely they just kind of kept separate from each other. Yeah. There were instances, though, you could see, like, where the cameraman would go into commercial and, like, Draymond's, like, walking up to give people five. Jordan Poole's going, like, walking past him. Or Draymond's coming to talk to him about, like, a defensive error, and Jordan Poole's, like, dismissing him, like, saying, get away from me. You can see that there were, like, discussions and debates on the sidelines sometimes throughout the season, especially in the playoffs. Um, I mean, you could tell, like, Steph was getting annoyed when it started to affect the team chemistry because he had to yeah. say, like, people need to get it together. Either you want to be here or you don't. I'm assuming that was referencing Jordan Poole because Draymond's clearly trying to bury the hatchet. Like, I messed up. Yo, I'm trying to talk to you. You know, we're teammates. Poole wants to act like a kid. I don't want to talk to you. Don't talk to me. Get the fuck out of my face. Like, I get it. You know, you got sucker punched by your teammate. But this is a business. This is your job. You need to find a way to coexist because you're Steph's backup. You're the guy that Draymond needs to communicate with for those handoff ball screens, for those pin downs, for those pick and roll settings. And if you guys aren't on the same page... That's detrimental. And then to top it off, Jordan Poole had a piss-poor performance offensively throughout the whole postseason. One plus two plus three equals off to Washington, D.C. You go. Did that rhyme? One, two, three, Washington, D.C. Yeah, low-key, I'm kind of a rapper on the side. Don't tell yeah, nobody. That's not yeah. coming. Nah. Um, I, I saw some of your raps, though. They still need a little bit of work. Yeah, we got, we that, got some that, stuff that, that, nice. Listen, that one could pass, all right? I'll give you that one. Yeah. But, you know, nonetheless, we'll see what happens with Golden State uh, for the rest of the offseason, I imagine this is one of many moves that they'll make this offseason to try to bolster their chances on trying to become NBA champions once again. But I think it's safe to say, still a little bit skeptical about this one, just you know, bringing Chris Paul, who's almost 40 years old, into the fold, especially with the injury history, is definitely going to be a question mark going into a next season. Uh, but with that said, we are going to transition to our next topic on the agenda and that is going to be Chris Hotz Porzingis being traded to the Boston Celtics so if you guys don't mind I'm going to pull up the trade details these are the updated and these are these are the final uh, trade details that involved three teams with this Chris Hotz Porzingis trade so I'm just going to go down in order from how I have it here is so, that the tweet that I sent you yesterday actually before you start because I think there was more that came out today like additional details like Mustakis the 35th pick like there was more that came out on top of it today from Shams or Woj well I, I I'll read off here from what I have okay. and then if you yeah. w- want to update it then yeah I'm looking go, right now go right ahead so as I have it right now Boston gets Chris Porzingis. they get two first round picks from Memphis they get the 2023 first-round pick from Memphis, and they also get a 2024 first-round pick from Memphis. Uh, The Memphis Grizzlies get Marcus Smart in return in this trade, so Marcus Smart goes from the Boston Celtics to the Memphis Grizzlies. Then when it comes to the Washington Wizards, they get Tyus Jones, Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala, and the number 35 pick in this year's NBA draft. So these are the... I'm assuming these are the final updated trade details. So... Pretty big three-team trade here. This was the second trade attempt when it came to Chris Hasperzingas. Like we had mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, there were three teams that were initially involved in this Chris Hasperzingas trade when it involved the Los Angeles Clippers instead of the Memphis Grizzlies. But like we said earlier, Malcolm Brogdon's injury status really kind of threw a monkey wrench into the situation when it came to the Clippers. They weren't sold on what his future prospects were going to be because of that injury history. And even Brian Windhorst had reported that there's a very good chance that Boston's not going to be able to move off of Malcolm Brogdon anytime soon because of this injury uh, status issue that came up when the Clippers brought it up. So when it comes to this Christoph Porzingis trade, he's really definitely the focal piece of this trade. Uh, you could also make a honorable mention when it comes to Marcus Smart, uh, just because Marcus Smart has really been He's really been that gritty go-to guy for Boston for so long. And now that he's moving on to Memphis, Memphis gets really a seasoned veteran. And I imagine that Marcus probably has a chip on his shoulder knowing that knowing that Boston really kind of did him dirty. And like Kev had said, I think I mentioned it earlier, I, I think that Marcus Smart was potentially looking at closing out his career as a Boston Celtic, but that will no longer happen. So... Who knows, this may revitalize Marcus to a certain extent now that he's going to Memphis. But Memphis is kind of dealing with the whole situation with John Morant uh, just because of the recent suspension that he got. But nonetheless, okay, let's dive into this Chris Esper-Zingas trade. Obviously, 
Boston gets their big man going into next year. So I'll just I'll keep this one to you. What do you think about Boston trading for Christos Porzingis? And what sort of effect do you, do you think he's going to bring to the table for Boston going into next year? Well, Boston's now got another big three, right? As Kyle alluded to, you have Jalen Brown because he's planning on getting extended. You have Jason Tatum, the focal point, the superstar of the team. And then now you add KP. Now, the issue, like I said just a few minutes ago, is him staying healthy. Now, to counter that, he had probably the most productive season he has had in, I don't know, almost 10 years. Well, excuse me, almost seven years. He hasn't played this many games since 2016. He played 65. In 2016, he played 66. He scored 23 points per game. He had eight rebounds a game, almost three assists per game. He shot almost 50% from the field, 49.8. So basically 50% and 38.5% from the three-point line. And in a lot of instances, he was carrying the load of Washington's offense because Bradley Beal was in and out of the lineup with injuries this past season. So KP was the centerpiece for the Washington offense. Now, I know what you're thinking. Washington sucked. They didn't have a lot of wins. They weren't really competing for much. But for me, as someone who has had him on their team, because he played for Dallas for a year and a half, two years, the issue for me was he could never stay healthy. And when he was on the floor, he wasn't necessarily given the opportunity to put out points, have those big outbursts to actually go out there and be productive. When he was with Washington, he was getting those looks, he was getting those shot attempts, and he was healthy and he was protecting the rim. And he finally looked like the Kristaps Porzingis of old, which was flashes we saw in New York, which is why Dallas had traded for him. If he can give us a similar season to that, maybe not 23, 25 points a game, if he can just give 20 and 10 and shoot effectively and block shots, that is an option for when Jason and Jalen are having off nights or when one or the other is off the floor and someone that can play the pick and roll and protect the rim. A lot of people are just sitting there saying, Kristaps is glass, Kristaps is useless, this, that, and the third. But love Robert Williams. Robert Williams was hurt the last two to three years, and he is nowhere able to put up the offensive capabilities that Kristaps can. So when you really think about it, you're technically getting an upgrade. He puts more points up than Robert Williams, and last year he was available more than Robert Williams was. Limited with the injuries, the ankle, the knee, whatever the case may be. But now you're going to have two defensive-minded bigs. Grant Williams is probably on his way out. There are rumors linking him to Dallas and other teams that are interested in a side-and-trade for him. So kudos to him. But Kristaps comes in. He fills in either the center or the four. I would probably assume the center because he is seven foot one, seven foot two. Robert can slide to the power forward, play good defense, and anchor the team. And you can have... Whoever it is at the one, probably Malcolm Brogdon now because Malcolm is forced to step into that starting role with Marcus Smart on. Now, as for the other teams, you get... get, Tyus Jones is going to be out there in Washington. Again, Washington is just strictly looking for bad contracts and just, you know... Um, trying to alleviate some of the cap. Kristaps was due $33, $35 million, whatever the case may be this season. Boston inherits that, so now they're cleared of that. They're clear of Bradley's cap. Uh, Kyle Kuzma has opted out. So the books are pretty much open for Washington to inherit those bad contracts, to have a big cap space in the coming years, and to have some draft picks. Now, the only thing that is weird about this, and I say weird because it just doesn't make sense, how Boston ends up getting two picks and the best player in this trade doesn't add up for me. Memphis just gets Marcus Smart, who isn't due that much money. He is a incredible perimeter defender. He brings a gritty veteran leadership to a struggling, young, and inexperienced Memphis team. So for Memphis, it makes sense. Marcus Smart for Tyus Jones is a win all day. But for Boston to get the two firsts at the same time, how does that happen? I mean, this is why I always say in the in the NBA, they dish out picks like laundry, man. Like, you get you get a pick, you get a pick, you get a pick. Like, I'll never understand how that works. The fact that KP and two first-round picks go to Boston, who accumulated a litany of picks over the last almost 10 years in draft history when they traded a bunch of assets away, starting with the... Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. That was the big trade for uh, KG and Paul Pierce going to Brooklyn. That's where all of those pick accumulations started, correct? I believe so. So I can look it up. Now you get now you get two more picks for the future and KP. Now I believe this may be the last year of KP's deal, if not the second to last year. So they may be able to potentially just 
use this year as leverage and just let him go and kind of have cap space for the following season. I don't know what Boston's plan is, but according to reports, Brad Stevens is not done. He said that this is far from over for their offseason. So for Boston, this is a win-win. You get a, a, you get a, a consistent big, you get another scorer, you get a rim protector, you lose a perimeter defender, yes, but I trust Bradley, uh, Bradley, I trust Brad Stevens to go out there and, and, and acquire some more pieces, but Hey, man, if Washington is going to be literally a garage sale, so be it. They've done a great job. They've gotten some good assets in return. I know Danilo Gallinari is unfortunately not going to be able to play for his childhood favorite team. I saw pictures, Kyle, on Twitter that you know Danilo Gallinari was a Celtics fan in his younger days, tore his ACL before he was even able to step on the floor for the Celtics, so he was not able to play for them, and now he's headed off to Washington to try to revitalize some something of his career. But... Boston wins his hands down. I mean, Memphis got what they needed in a vet, but still, if I'm Boston, I'm going right back into this saying we have just upgraded and we have another potential to go to the finals again. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, since you brought up the KG and Paul Pierce trade when they both got traded to Brooklyn, I have the details of that trade right here. You want me to read it? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. and I know that's it, when it started when they started accumulating crazy picks. Well, essentially, I have the Bleacher Report article right here, and basically what they're asserting is is that what Boston did with that trade back in the day is essentially now the common draft approach to bring in draft capital if you're going to make a big time trade. So, Kev, this was the trade. Back in the day. So the Celtics sent Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, DJ White, and Jason Terry, and a 2017 first round pick to the Nets. In return, they got a bunch of players. They got uh, like Chris Humphreys, Chris Joseph, uh, Gerald Wallace. They also got three first round draft picks and two pick swaps from that trade. And essentially it was their rebuilding effort. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of those picks later came into play I think for Jason I think I think it was Jason I think one of them I think both actually came from that I think Jason and Jalen because they were drafted back-to-back years 2016 and then 2017 I'd have to look up when the pick swaps occurred what years those were slated for and but it definitely affected one yeah if I had to guess I think it was Jason but I'd have to look a little bit more uh, focused on that but nonetheless when it comes to the Kristaps trade, Kev, honestly, I really don't have that much to add uh, from what you said. The only thing that I will say is that, to me, when I look at Boston now, now they have a legitimate pick. They have a legitimate number five that they can run because they're, Kev, is it just me? Or did it seem at times like Boston was playing pretty small throughout most of last year? And I, I won't even say just last year, but over the last couple of years, they really haven't had somebody that's legitimately been a number five that's really been reliable and a go-to piece to work with. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, they had, they had Daniel Tights. Uh, I probably screwed up his last name. I think it's Tice, Daniel Tice. Yeah, and then Tice. They, have, they have Al Horford still, but Al Horford's getting up there in age. He's not the greatest but, rim protector in the world. Yeah, but Al Horford, I think, is pretty much slated as a power forward. He's not really somebody that would necessarily consider a center. But when it looks, He's played the five, though. Especially in his younger days in Atlanta, he was the five. Yeah, but he would he'd be a pretty small five by even today's standards. I know that, you know, you hear about the stretch five now and teams go small, but he's pretty big. He's not Kristaps' size though. He's not that tall, but I mean, when it comes to Boston, Boston is still one of the most competitive teams in the Eastern conference. When you have somebody like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and now you add somebody like Kristaps Porzingis into the fold, Boston is going to be in prime position to get back into a potential Eastern Conference final situation. And who knows, maybe they even get back to an NBA final situation. So overall, to me, I'm going to keep this relatively short. I think when it comes to their starting five, it looks like they're going to be pretty solid. It's just to me, like Kev said, is Chris Hops going to be able to be healthy for most of next year? Coming off of a year where he played 65 games, 
kind of leads me to believe that hopefully that trend continues going into next year. I don't know if he's going to be able to continue the scoring output that he had from this past year, where he averaged a career high in points, around 23 points per game. Just because if he is going to be this third piece to a potential Boston trio, because I think this pretty much, I'm not going to say guarantees, but with the way that things are looking, it looks like Jalen Brown's going to get a pretty massive extension from the Boston Celtics. So Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Porzingis, Porzingis is going to be that third option. So even though that I think that he's going to have a drop-off in his overall scoring output, just because I think that Jason and Jalen are still going to be running the show offensively, but I think defensively is really where he's going to make a huge contribution. I think he's going to be able to effectively get rebounds. And I will say, when it comes to Kristaps, Kristaps could be able, he could shoot behind the three-point line. And don't be surprised if Boston utilizes him in some of these offensive setups where if they get him on the wing or they get him in a corner, that he could knock down a three-point shot. Hell, they could even use him at the top of the key if they wanted to, if they wanted to run some pick and rolls. So overall, to me, Boston is still in a pretty advantageous situation here. I still think that they have a prime chance to get back to exactly where they were this year, which was the Eastern Conference Finals. And who knows? As long as everybody stays healthy, they could make an NBA Finals run. I think this team definitely has that potential. And moving forward, you know, if they're able to keep this trio together for the next couple of years, who knows? It could even turn out an NBA championship. So overall, I think it's a pretty solid trade. I would say that, you know, Chris House brings a, an element of depth when it comes to their rim protection. I think the only thing left for me when it comes to Boston is can they be able to improve their bench depth? Um, like Kev said, I think Grant Williams is probably going to be going somewhere else this offseason. So it's going to be another area of focus. I know they'll still bring Robert Williams off the bench. We'll see what happens when it comes to Malcolm Brogdon just because of that injury history that was brought up by the Clippers about a potentially a significant elbow injury uh, that caused that Clippers trade uh, to go by the wayside. But overall, we'll see how things happen for the rest of the offseason for the Boston Celtics. But overall, I think it's a pretty solid trade for Boston. They definitely addressed their five spot, and I think he when it comes to Przingis, brings an added element of depth when it comes to their rim protection that they have not had, I think, over the last couple of years. So overall, I think Boston's in a good spot right here. They'll be contending for a little bit, but I did want to mention one more potential, not potential, but one more thing that we actually heard late last night before we get into the NBA draft, because I know that's about to start in about 20, 30 minutes. Chris Middleton opts out of his $40 million deal with the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, it's a player option, right? But yeah, Chris Chris Middleton, when healthy, has been an absolute incredible player on both ends. Great free throw shooter, three and D type player, and he was Giannis's running mate for years, and has only gotten better as his career went on. The issue with Chris, been injury prone as well. Key word here. We've been talking about it all night. Chris Middleton had a, a lingering issue last year and this year that kept him basically out of the lineup, in and out of the lineup for a multitude of months. Was it a knee issue? I think it was a knee problem. I don't know if he banged knees with somebody or sprained a ligament, but the issue with Chris was a lower body extremity that kept him off the floor. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. People are always telling us in the comments, you got to chase that bag. You got to feed your family. You got to take care of your kid. All these things, right? If Chris Middleton is that injured, do you really think he's going to get $40 million a year again? Do you think someone's going to pay you that much again? I don't think so, personally. There are rumors of him being targeted by Dallas, by Los Angeles, all these different teams, right? But again, when you look at what you were making and what you have done for the last few years, your market value is based on what have you done for me lately, not the future. You're not young anymore. You don't have that. What are you going to be able to give me in five seasons as you progress in your career? You're a vet. You're a champ. You're a former All-Star. You are established in this league, and you have not been available for the Milwaukee Bucks. If I'm an NBA GM, yes, I will target you for way less than $40 million. Bro, I'm lowballing you. Maybe $15 million a year. $20 million at max. You're no longer available. I don't know what you're going to produce. I don't know how you're going to fit in my system. I mean, Kyle Kuzma's out here asking for $30 million, right? So, so who the hell knows? But he's younger, and he's available. 
I'm not saying that he's better than Chris Middleton, but I'm saying there's a difference. There's levels to this in free agency, and Chris Middleton has not been available. So, Kyle, I just I wanted to ask you your thoughts on him deciding to opt out as opposed to proving it, like, hey, I can play and being alongside Giannis one more season to get another contract next year. I think when it comes to Chris, to me, it comes down to how viable is he going to be going into next year. And, Kev, I, I was looking up uh, when it came to Chris Middleton after the playoffs came to an end where they got knocked out by the Heat in the first round. He did have knee surgery on that knee that had been bothering him the entire year. But just a, a year prior, he was coming off of wrist surgery. So injuries have not been kind to Chris Middleton. I think when it comes to Chris you know, going into this offseason, if he's expecting somewhere around 40 to $45 million a year in a contract, I, I just don't think that he's going to get that. I think when it came to the player option, I don't think it was necessarily the worst idea to actually accept it. But if he's really dead set on the idea that he could get potentially $40 million in a contract, it'd be one thing if he expected that and he dropped, let's say, hypothetically, if he dropped like 25, 7, and 5. I'd be like, okay, that that's a pretty solid ask. But I imagine teams would be willing to go out of their way to be able to do something like that for Chris because he actually showed it on the court. Kev, last year he only scored, he only averaged 15 points a game. And he only played 33 games last year in no. the entire regular no. season. So when it comes to Chris Middleton, look, for me, I actually like Chris Middleton. I think that Chris Middleton is a pretty solid basketball player, especially when he's healthy. I mean, everybody plays better when they're healthy. Yeah. Especially with, with, with his mid-range game, he can knock down some critical three-point shots. And I will say that he was a pretty instrumental piece when it came to Milwaukee winning their championship back in, what was it, 2021? Yeah. So even though that he's not the premier piece compared to what Giannis is for the Bucks, he's definitely been one of their best players that Milwaukee's had over the last, I mean, almost 10 years at this point. So, no, because he was with Detroit for a while first. He wasn't five, on Milwaukee his whole we, career. Yeah, like we, we five, can say five, years, five, six years. Yeah, yeah. We can say five, six years. But nonetheless, when it comes to Chris, I'm not guaranteeing him getting forty million dollars a year. If he Hell gets no. that, his listen. If he gets that, he's got to thank his agent to the high heavens because that'd be another miracle. I mean, Kev, don't put it past these agents to make miracles ha happen. We have seen it time and time again where we have seen average players in the NBA get these massive contracts that they probably don't deserve, yet they still land them. Now, Chris could totally land it, even despite the fact that he didn't have the best year last year, especially with all the injuries and the fact that he didn't perform that well. But I don't know. There, there's a part of me saying there's no way that he's going to get that, but at the same time, there's another part of me saying, well, these agents can make it happen. I don't know how, oh, but they make it happen. They, 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 they work magic in the NBA. They'd be like, hey, listen, that toilet right there, that toilet right there is worth $20 million. It's never been flushed, not once. And someone's going to buy it for $30 million. It just, I, I, I don't know what it is. That is the equivalent. I know it's a horrible analogy, but it's there are players getting paychecks they do not deserve whatsoever. No human being is worth millions of dollars. Let's put that out there first. These are athletes. We're talking in athlete world because that's what we have to. If Chris Middleton truly believes he's going to get upwards of $35, 40000000 million per season outside of this deal, I think he's drunk. Or souped up on painkillers. I, I have no idea. If this is a, not ploy, but if this is a plan with the front office to opt out to restructure and get a new deal, cool. Maybe he wants to save them some money. Maybe he wants to take a pay cut to give other players more money. We don't know what's going on. The only thing we know is that he opted out. And similar to Draymond, that doesn't mean that he's opting out to be free and to listen to other players. He'll listen because he can now. He'll, he'll, you know, he'll keep his ears open if someone's going to give him the right amount of money, depending on what he wants to do for the future of his career. I don't see him saying no. But knowing what Milwaukee has built together, I think Brooke Lopez is going to want a deal. I think that that's exactly why. I think Bobby Portis is going to want a deal. This is why he probably opted out maybe to take a cut. I'm hoping, I'm thinking on the positive note, maybe Giannis wants to restructure, maybe Drew Holiday wants to restructure. I have no idea, but you also have to know that there's also a new head coach that is going to be leading the Milwaukee Bucks moving forward. So we truly don't know the direction that Chris is moving on to. I just wanted to bring it up because it is another 
pretty big piece in free agency that is now going to be available come free agency when it opens in a few weeks. And who's to say that Chris Middleton doesn't leave and go to another contender? Who's to say that he doesn't take a massive cut? We just wanted to talk about it and get you know each other's thoughts because this is the beginning. And we have seen some wild names come up out of nowhere. I mean, Paul George being on the radar is wild considering that the owner said after the Clippers lost, their focus is keeping the team together, bringing Russell Westbrook back, and going to make a run with Kawhi and PG healthy. So for him to be anywhere linked to anybody but the Clippers is nuts. So that's what I'm saying. I just I wanted to talk about Chris really quick. I think like for me, just to kind of wrap up the Chris part, I think more than likely Chris is going to be a Milwaukee bot going into next year. I think just the difference is going to be what's the payout going to be? Is it going to be slightly less or is he going to get a huge contract extension? I think more than likely, I think they're probably setting it up to probably set some sort of long-term deal, but I don't know if it's going to be upwards of $40 million a year. I, if it is cool for him, you know, bro, get your money. But Facts. I think they're going to try to, like you said, Kev, I think they're going to try to adjust some things internally with the team. And that could mean that Chris takes a lighter contract than an absolute max that he could get just to be Hopefully. able to, to leave some money on the table for some other guys on the team. I, I did look it up. Chris has been on the Milwaukee Bucks since 2013. Oh, it has been a decade. Okay. Cause I knew that he, I knew he was older. He's probably what in his mid thirties, like 33, 34, something like that. Kev, he's 31. Wow. So he's been in the league damn near since he was in high school. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. He uh, went to Texas A&M college. I uh, was drafted in 2012. Second round. Yeah, he was a 39th pick in 2012. You were right. He was drafted by Detroit. That was a good callback. I, I, I don't remember it. why I know that. I'm telling you guys, I can't remember what I ate for dinner yesterday. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here talking about people getting drafted like 10 plus years ago. It's weird, but yeah. But yeah, I, honestly, I, I couldn't have told you that Chris had been on the team that long. But yeah, it's been 10 years. It is what it is. I mean... We're going to talk about the NBA draft. I mean, I'm going to be honest, first and foremost, guys. I watch college basketball, but not to the extent that I watch college football to know some of these prospects. And not to mention, if I'm being blunt, I really only watch the ACC because I'm a North Carolina fan, and this season was such an embarrassment. (laughs) I couldn't watch a whole lot of it. So, I mean, outside of the top three, four picks, I really don't know too much about these 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 players. I know that there's trade rumors and speculation about people trading back, trading up, trading personnel. So, I mean, we're, we're going to focus on the top three picks here because obviously these are the most important ones to, 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 to our knowledge. And these, are, these are the biggest prospects by far when it comes to... And Victor is obviously going number one, so it's really going to be the, the two and three prospect. Well, that, that's really a question that I have for you is... Really, what it comes down to, Victor, uh, Brandon, and Scoot. You know, obviously, these guys are going to be the first three picks. It kind of just depends mm-hmm. on how it all plays out. Everybody expects that Victor is going to go number one to the San Antonio Spurs. Everybody's already got that penciled, uh, not penciled in. They've got that penned in at this point. You know, That's signed I, in I, blood. I, I think. I think when it came to the number two pick, there had been some rumors that Scoot was apparently getting some momentum for the number two slot instead of Brandon. But nonetheless, Kev, with Victor being that number one prospect, he's been on everybody's radar for the last couple of years. Now, obviously, he's coming over from France. The dude is seven six feet. Is seven six. This dude is a, a monster when it comes to overall length. But he's very scrawny, and we don't know necessarily how he's going to be able to adjust from that European style of basketball in France to. The NBA. Now, I will say, Kev, we've been seeing international players really take over the NBA over the last couple of years, like Luka Doncic. You can look at Joel Embiid. You can look at Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo. These guys are some of the focal pieces of the NBA now, but they did not come from the United States. They came from Europe. And when it comes to Victor, Victor could be that next international superstar to really take the forefront within the NBA. And there's definitely a lot of hype when it comes to Victor just because you have a guy at 7'6", and essentially all he needs to do is take two steps to get to the rim from the three-point line. It's definitely going to present a challenge for NBA teams across the board, but there's definitely some question marks when it comes to Victor, and I think it mostly has to do with his overall physique. So, 
Kev, just give me your thoughts of what Victor can bring for the San Antonio Spurs when he does get drafted by the Spurs. And what do you think is going to happen with players like Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller? Uh, well, to start with, with, with Wemby, right? I've said this before. I don't have a lot of faith in him. And that's not being, or should I say, that's not thinking glass half empty. I'm thinking from the perspective of people were critical about Kristaps Porzingis coming out of Latvia, right? He ended up getting hurt within his first year and a half. Tears his ACL, was never the same. Now he's revitalizing his career. He was 7'2". Now you have Victor Wembanyama, who's 19 years old, and or 18 years old, whatever the age is, and he's even taller and already has previous injury history at the lower body extremity. He is very frail. We just looked at Chet Holmgren. Chet got drafted number two last year. He got hurt before he even got to step on the court officially for the Thunder. He got hurt in the Drew League or something playing with Braun. And that was on like a Liz Frank injury. Broke his foot, had surgery in his foot, whatever the case was. He gets hurt. So when you talk about tall players, just lanky players, they don't last. They are, I mean, outside of like Kevin Durant, because I mean, the guy was a, 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 a I can't say unicorn because obviously that was what KP ended up being called, but he was like a mythological creature because he was able to shoot, dribble, jump. He was able to do so much more. He wasn't just your traditional six foot ten, six foot eleven big. He was a scorer. Now I'm looking at Victor and I see what he does in France, and I don't know how that's going to translate in the NBA because he had so much freedom. He was the best player on the team. He did bring the ball up on the floor. He did shoot a lot of threes. He took a lot of jump shots. And we all know that Greg Popovich is not a player to just let people run rampant and do what they want. I.e., when LaMarcus Aldridge came over, his productivity dipped. When DeMar DeRozan came over, his productivity dipped. And so on and so forth. Players that come to San Antonio that have a reputation for being independent scorers or their own individual players that make teams better, Greg runs a system. If you do not fit into the system you're not going to work. And I'm not saying that the triangle or whatever it is that he runs or the Popovich special is going to be anti-Victor, but if Victor thinks he's going to come and bring the ball up at 7-6 in the NBA and take two steps and get to the free throw line, I think Giannis Antetokounmpo is the prime example of you got to put on some weight before you think you're going to do that. Greg's not going to have him high pick and roll. Greg's not going to have him stepping out outside, taking step back 27, 30 footers, and then chasing down boards. I'm not saying that we're in the era of the late 90s, early 2000s, where we have Shaq and Hakeem Olajuwon and all these bigs to where like they're going to muscle him down and dominate him. Outside of Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid, we don't have dominant forces like that. So I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to get bullied every week or every game, but Victor has a lot to prove for me. He's got to be able to stay healthy. He's got to put on some weight, and I got to see what he does in pop system. If he would have gone to Portland or Houston, or Charlotte, not to discredit those coaches, they're not Greg. Pop has been doing this for 20-plus years, 30-plus years, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? He has won a multitude of championships. The proof in the pudding works, right? Victor said that he's happy he's going to a winning culture, a great head coach, a great city, all these things, but I don't think he really understands he's not going to be doing what he did in France. He's not going to have the freedom to shoot whenever he wants and bring the ball up whenever he wants and, and take the shots that he wants. This is a team-oriented sport, and I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical to think of what it is that he's going to bring to the table for San Antonio if they don't put the right pieces around him. Now, when it comes to Scoot and Brandon, we know what Brandon can do. We saw him in the SEC, what he was able to do for Alabama. He can score at almost all levels. He's athletic. He can guard. Brandon's an overall good player. The issue is the off-the-field or off-the-court problems within, I think, the law. Somebody was murdered or he had the murder weapon. I don't know the details to that whole legal case, but there are issues that think that that is going to be a looming issue moving forward. And then we're talking about Scoot to where people are just so high on the guy. He's out the gym athletic. He needs to develop a jump shot a little bit better. But what he's able to do off the pick and roll, get rebounds, he's long, um, he's able to rebound the basketball effectively. And what he was able to do for the Ignite uh, last season in the G League, um, it, it showed a lot of promise. And we all saw that players like Jaden Hardy, who came, out of the, who came into the Dallas Mavericks system, who was averaging almost 30 points a game in the G League, who was averaging a lot of points down there, um, it, it, it can translate very well when given the right opportunity. It's just about the system. Now, when you talk about the two and the three pick, the difference is, 
Portland is a few pieces away from trying to compete in the West. Charlotte is, I don't even know. The GOAT in Michael Jordan couldn't even fix that team. They got LaMelo Ball coming off surgery. They've had a couple of good picks where, where they had, what, what was it, P.J. Washington and, uh, and another player. I can't remember his name for the life of me. Uh, I'm not talking about Miles or Miles Bridges. I'm talking about somebody else. I can't remember who it is, but there was some. there were young players that showed a lot of promise. So, I mean, to be honest, if I'm Charlotte, I'd probably go scoot because I think you need a little bit more athleticism. I think you need somebody that can be more physical. Um, you don't need another guard. You have Terry Rozier. You have LaMelo Ball. Uh, you had Dennis Smith Jr. last year come off the bench and play good minutes. I mean, obviously, Brandon Miller could potentially be better than a lot of those players, but that's a gamble you have with rookies. So, I think all three players will be solid. I think Victor has obviously the highest upside, but also the highest risk because of everything that comes along with drafting a seven foot six player from in an international location. But hey, we've seen a lot of high praise from a lot of draft picks before and them not pan out. So we'll see what happens. But draft night's going to be interesting. I don't usually watch draft night for the picks necessarily. I always watch it for somebody traded up, somebody traded back, somebody traded this pick for this player. So we'll see what happens. The NBA draft night's always interesting. Kev, I really don't have too much more to offer. I think I'll just kind of leave it at this. I think to me, obviously, Victor's going to be the number one pick. He's going to go uh, to the Spurs. And I think it's really just going to come down to that number two and number three pick. And I think it's going to come down to, like you mentioned, who's going to go for who? Is it going to be where Scoot goes number two just because of his overall athleticism and because he has that G League experience, which is something that Brandon Miller does not? Now, to me, I think Brandon Miller is the better shooter compared to Scoot. Oh, yeah. Scoot's, Scoot's athleticism. There have been many references just when it comes to his athleticism to Russell Westbrook. I'm not saying that he's going to be Russell Westbrook. Explosive. It's just, It's just that the athleticism that he brings to the table, very similar to what Russell Westbrook, that he was able to bring early on in his career. And honestly, Russell is still extremely athletic at his age right now. And that's despite picking up some injuries along the way throughout his career. It's just it's going to come down to are they going to go with Brandon at the number two or Scoot? And that's a tough pendulum. That's really kind of tough a tough choice. one to, to weigh out. You could go one way or the other. That G League experience is definitely something that I think teams could, you know, I guess kind of look at. But, you know, you got Brandon, who, who's a really good shooter coming out of Alabama. I think to me that's going to be really kind of the biggest draw of the night, despite uh, Victor going number one. Obviously, the, you know we got the NBA draft. It's going to be two rounds. I know when it comes to the NFL, it's a little bit different because it's a, it's a three day event with the NFL. I think at most this will be two. Hell, it might even be wrapped up tonight, just oh, because okay. they could honestly get through two rounds relatively quickly. But nonetheless. It's going to be very interesting to see which teams draft who. You know, talk about the next crop of NBA talent going into the NBA. So it should be very interesting to watch. It's all tonight. It's all tonight. Perfect. Yeah. So just wrap it up on all in one night and just walk away from there. It's fine by me. But no, the NBA draft should be very entertaining tonight and uh, we'll see how things play out. But, uh, Kat, that pretty much wraps it up for us. Um, I know we had only a couple of topics to work with, but I don't know. Felt pretty productive to me. Yeah, I mean, we got a lot of topics done. I mean, guys, like we said, there were plenty of rumors to talk about today, but we wanted to make sure that we talked about the concrete official things, not speculation of what could come, what did come, what almost did. We'd be here all day because Kyle and I sent each other a thousand Twitter posts within the last 48 hours, and like to cover that would take an eternity, not to mention the draft is starting relatively shortly, so we want to kind of get a good close-up to see what ends up transpiring. And if there's something good, maybe we come back and record a segment. If there's a crazy deal, I mean, Kyle's off for the day. I don't have a meeting tomorrow for a while, so who knows? But the point of the matter is we got a lot out today, and we wanted to make sure we were able to put something out there for the weekend. So, I mean, Kyle, if that's everything, man, that's, that's, uh, that's all I got. Yeah, I've got nothing else more to add, so uh, we'll just wrap it up here. So, once again, thank you guys for tuning in, whether you guys are watching us on YouTube or watching some of our clips on um, YouTube specifically or Instagram, Twitter. We definitely appreciate your support. Um, the content from this episode will be rolling out over the next couple of days, so just 
kind of keep an ear out or keep an eye out for it. And uh, we should be back uh, this upcoming weekend. We'll be back on a Sunday night record, which means we'll upload on Monday. And guys, it's just that time of the year where it's in the middle of summer. Topics are going to be kind of few and far between. If there's something big, we'll definitely cover it. But uh, we're not going to be as frequent with our content over the next couple weeks, really until the NFL starts gearing up. And that won't be until late July. So we will be putting out content here and there. But it just it won't be as steady compared to what it's been over the last couple months. So just keep that in mind as we move forward. But Kev, close us on out, brother. I got nothing All more right. to add. Guys, um, like Kyle said, it's summertime officially now. We'll be posting when we can. We'll make sure to keep you updated on any schedule changes and whatever have you. But outside of that, we appreciate the support. We'll see you guys again later. Take it easy, guys. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid.